You know, today is Halloween, and we teach some, our kids some strange things, uh, some strange sayings. And I'm going to start off, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of feedback in here, somebody can. Anyway, um, how many of you remember some really odd nursery rhymes that you learned as a child, and you probably taught them to your own children? Huh, anybody? How about, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the history of this, and supposedly it was kind of like, they think it may be, actually they don't know what it means, all right, honestly. But one of the prevailing theories that it has to do with Mary, Queen of Scots, who wanted to bring Catholicism back to England. And so, but they weren't sure exactly about that, honestly. And then this one here is really a beautiful one that I've, we sang many, many times when I was in the school playground. Ring around a rosy pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Isn't that depressing? I mean, come on. I mean, talking about the black death here, you know, black plague, you know, that's not a good thing. And then here's one I heard many times, but I didn't know there was more verses to it. It's raining and it's pouring, the old man is snoring, right? I've heard that many times. Did you know there's also a part to it says, he bumped his head on top of the bed and couldn't get, out in the, couldn't get up in the morning. In other words, he had a head wound and died. Not a good thing for a child, I don't think, right? And then Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. It's like, that's really... Not too bad, except for the fact that it is talking about the death of the king and the queen of France during the 18th century when they, were, when they were beheaded. That's where that came from. Kind of sad, isn't it? But then, Wednesday night, we all heard this many times as I was handing out candy right and left. I heard many parents say, say trick or treat, right? How many of you, when you were young, you heard more to it than that? And I heard, trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. I'm thinking, what a strange saying that was. I mean, come on. And think, if you think about it, even if you don't go to the, uh, and actually there's more to it than that too, but just think about it. If only you, all you do is teach your kids to say trick or treat, what are you teaching them? You're basically teaching them to be extortionist. Right? Give me something good, some really good candy, or you might regret it. I mean, that's kind of small time. Yeah, the kid might be small, and they may be cute in a nice outfit, but I don't know if that's what we ought to be teaching our kids. However, all that being said, today we're going to look at the words trick-or-treat, because it's Halloween, in light of Scripture, in light of the life lived for Christ. You see, many people, we as believers, we believe that living for Christ as a disciple of Christ is the greatest treat we can ever know in this life. However, the majority of the world says it's nothing but a trick. And so that's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to look at three parts. We're going to look at the person who believes there is a treat. We're going to look at the person who believes it's a trick. And then we're going to look at a person who is undecided. 
So as I begin to read this, we're going to pick up where Cliff left off last week. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. If you want to turn your Bible you have or read it with me, please stand as we read this together. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for what for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make it clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But, but, our citizenship is in heaven, and we, are, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Please be seated. Dear God, as we take a moment just to look at your word, help us to see where we need to change. Help us to renew our commitment to you. And dear God, if there's somebody here this morning who has never really committed to you, I pray this morning that you would speak to our, their hearts and help them to see you as the treasure that you are. In name we do pray. Amen. For those who believe it is a treat. At the beginning of the passage, Paul begins with the words, not that I have attained it. And of course, it leads you to believe. If you're just reading that verse out of context, you're wondering, what is he talking about? And since we have to, in order to answer that question, you have to go back to last week's verses. I'm going to focus on verse 10. And out of verse 10, I find three things that I think I sums up all that Paul was trying to attain in his life, his goal in life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. First, we see that Paul wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know him intellectually. He wanted to know him wholeheartedly. He wanted to understand God and Jesus Christ as much as he could to the fullest ability that he had just so that he could be more like him. You see, for Paul, it wasn't enough to know Christ, to know about Christ, to understand what Christ did in this life. He wanted to understand God well enough that if God were living his life, he would make the same decisions that Paul was making. Now, that's a pretty high goal, isn't it? Can you say you actually want God, want to make the same decisions that God would make if he were living your life? If that's not your goal, then perhaps you've been selling yourself a little bit short. We all need to be understanding God, seeking to understand and seeking to know him so that we can make decisions that honor him 
in what we do, in what we say. This is the life of repentance that we are called to live. We, aren't making, we should not be making decisions to build our own kingdom. We should not be making decisions to, that make us feel good. We should be making decisions that help us to reach out and to further God's kingdom here on earth. You know, the amazing thing about the church is we're all in, unique. We're all different. We know Cliff, he loves cars as much as anybody or more than anybody else in the church, it seems. But we know Wade loves music and the mandolin. We know other people that love to do other things. But God can use each and everything that we have to reach out and reach people for his kingdom. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. God can use us in our own unique way. If we're willing to live a life of repentance focused upon him. Secondly, Paul wrote that he wanted to know the power of his resurrection. In this... Saying we need to realize that what he is saying, he has called us to a new life. We are supposed to be living a resurrected life with a new purpose. We are reminded that in 2 in Corinthians, Paul wrote that he gave us a new purpose and a new goal. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In, uh, in that, we're supposed to represent God on earth. We're not supposed to be representing ourselves. We're not supposed to be our best self. Actually, our best self as believers is to be the best representation of Jesus that we can be. Yes, we are to love people, give people grace, love them in so many ways. But also, as we share grace through our actions... We also need to find ways to share the message of grace. We, in this process of reconciliation, part of it is, part of it is helping people to understand who Jesus is and what he did on their behalf. Give them that chance to receive God's grace as you have received it. Thirdly, Paul, and this is where it gets really difficult, I think, for us. Actually, perhaps this whole idea, this line of, is perhaps the least popular in the American church today. Paul wanted to know Jesus and the fellowship of his sufferings. How many people can say, I want to suffer for Jesus? Paul did. What does he mean? He means he was willing to sacrifice his personal comfort, his personal desires, his personal vision for what life should have been and could have been, he was willing to sacrifice all his glory that he would have received as a Pharisee. He's willing to, he was willing to give it all up so that he can become the person God has called him to be. And for Paul, that was to be a missionary to the world, to the Gentile world. He was to take the gospel where no one else had taken it, and that's what he wanted to do. What is it for you in your life, in your in your little kingdom. What is God calling you to give up? What is God calling you to live for? 
Our knowledge of Jesus reminds us that he had the right to come down to earth and live as a king. He had the right to be pampered. He had the right to force people to worship at his feet. That was his right. And in the United States, we are really big on our rights, aren't we? Individual rights, we, we will stand up, we will protest so that our individual rights will not be taken away. But how many of us be, would, are willing to give up our individual rights so that we can win somebody to Christ? If Jesus had asked, his disciples would have fought for him. They even tried until he stopped them. If he had asked, he could have had legions of angels come and defend him, and yet he did not call. Jesus sacrificed, suffered, and died because that was what we needed. So what does the life of a believer look like today? Certainly we can't be Jesus. We are not called to be Jesus. We are called to be who God calls us to be so what will that look like? First of all, in life, a life today as a believer should be defined by humble sacrifice. In how we use our money, perhaps. In how we use our resources, our time. In how we use our talents, our abilities, our interests. How can we use those to make an inroad and to make friends and to build relationships with other people so that we might have a chance. That's not how we often like to do things, though, is we, we like to, when we leave church, we, and I know this because this is me, I'm usually more concerned about my personal comfort than I am getting out and doing something that makes me uncomfortable. But we need to be willing to, to live a life of sacrifice. We need to be willing, as Jesus said, to take up our cross daily. I remember the testimony a couple years ago, uh, Fernando Martinez, who, with his wife, Debbie, they founded Rancho Dust Countries. It's one of the missions that we help support. And if you remember his testimony, he was born and raised in Mexico. And he came to the United States and he was determined to never go back. He was determined that he left that place behind and he would shake the dust off of his boots and, and never return. He came to the United States and he, he went whole hog. He was a good businessman and he built up several businesses, he became a multimillionaire. And then he got saved. God got a hold of his life. And what happened? God started working on his heart. He ended up selling his businesses. He ended up using all the money that he had accumulated to start and to fund Rancho Dos Countries which is serving the, the poor, which is serving the, the people that he determined, was determined to never go back to. He is back in Mexico today because God has led him there. It is not what he wanted. It is what God wanted. 
And today all his money is gone, and he has to rely on the, the goodness and the, the donations of other people to fund the work. It is truly a faith ministry. Yet I would ask, bet if you would ask him if it was worth it. And he would resoundingly say yes. Do you sacrifice for others outside of your family? You know, when we sacrifice for people that we know and we love, maybe we sacrifice for our friends. But are we willing to sacrifice for people we don't even know yet? Willing to put ourselves into a place where we can be used by God. So this Christian life today is certainly marked with sacrifice. The second aspect is we never settle for enough. In verses 13 and 14, Paul wrote... <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Pressing on, never giving up, never being satisfied. Those are the mark of a believer who's committed to Christ. You know, in all this, we can't compare ourselves to other people. Because we do this. We have this tendency, and I, and I do too. We, we have this tendency, we say, look, Cliff, you, you watch all those movies. It's just like, why can't I watch all those movies? Some people, you know, you eat out all the time and says like, why can't I eat all the time? We look at other people and we judge ourselves. And, we, and sometimes we look at them with envy. Sometimes we look at them with self-righteousness. And the problem is, we aren't supposed to compare ourselves to other people. We're supposed to compare ourselves to Christ, who gave it up all so that we might know life. That is to what we are called to do, to look at becoming more spiritual. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1.6 that we just said, basically my summation of it is, God is not finished with me yet. And I needed that verse. First time I heard of, of a life, the concept of a life verse I knew my mind went exactly to Philippians 1, 6 because of my struggles, because of issues, uh, personal issues, which you don't need to know about everything. But I was so frustrated with my life, and that verse gave me grace. It helped me to understand that God is not condemning me. He's still working to change me. He's still working to re reform me and to change me into something that he can use more efficiently. God isn't finished with us yet. And so as, as believers, we need to spend time getting to know and understand God, praying and meditating on His Word. We need to forget the work that we have already done. You know, the things that we did yesterday, even the things we did two years ago, those are in our past. Now we have to look forward and pray about the things we need to do for the future. We need to be reaching ahead. We need to forget the times we have failed, on, failed and press on to greater Perfection. 
You know, in athletics, there is a common phrase, commonly used phrase. He gave 110%. You know, I've always thought that was kind of a dumb statement. Because no one can give 110%. It's just not physically possible, right? But I do agree with the sentiment. What's, it, what's the sentiment? Give all you can give. And then when you think you've given all you can give, don't give up. Give a little more. Right? That's what it means. You may be tired. You may be exhausted. You may be wore out. But I bet you got a little bit more you can give. You know, a couple weeks ago, I, actually a week ago, I went on a 55-mile bike ride. You know, about mile 45, I was feeling pretty tired. <laughs> but I had a little bit more to give. So we're left with the question, is it worth it? As disciples, we are called to give up so much. And yet, here's the truth. In our sacrifice, as we draw closer to God, we find completeness. We find the peace we so desperately want. As we surrender the areas of our life that we've been holding on to and we give them up, we find wholeness and completeness in peace and God's joy. Now we're going to look at those who believe is a trick. Not going to tell you, spend a lot of time here, but, and honestly, I realize as I talk about this, it is a really overly simplified view today. I'm not trying to prevent a comprehensive, I mean, in five minutes, you can't really talk about non-believers and, and sum them up properly. But I'm going to use scripture and what we have in the context to talk about in this in this thing. For those who believe that life as a disciple of Christ is a trick, they basically, according to Scripture, according to what we read, they are living self-centered lives. Well, what else do they have? If they're not living for Christ, they're living for themselves. They're living to try to earn their way to heaven. They're learning, they're living to try to find a way of fulfillment. They're concerned about themselves here, the here and the now. They're looking for things that work. They're concerned about effectiveness. Personal effectiveness. I was listening to a Matt Chandler sermon the other day, and he said something that I thought was relevant. It's amazing. Some things that just stick with you. He said, in the world today, we are taught to look within ourselves, then look out around us, then look up. So what does he mean by that? He says, well, we're supposed to look within ourselves. If you want to find personal joy and happiness, you have to look within yourself and you have to determine what it is that makes you happy. What is that makes you full of joy? What is it that brings you peace and fulfillment? You have to look within yourself to find that. That is what they determined. He says, then when you know what you, what you want and what you are, then you look for people who will support you. You look around for people who will support you in your goals, in your personal fulfillment. You look around and you find people, and if they're not willing to support you, kick them off to the side and find out somebody else who will. And then when you have your inward goals lined up and you have your support group lined up, then you look up. You find a religion that will support you in your goals. Who cares about truth? 
It's personal truth. That's all they're concerned about. It doesn't matter if the truth is not real truth. It's not full and complete truth. It doesn't matter to them. All they're concerned about is, all they're concerned about is your truth. Success in the America, for the American dream says, is often measured in our world today by the size of our paychecks, the size of our bank accounts, our houses, our cars, maybe perhaps our designer clothes. And how do we know when we succeed once again? Well, we know we've succeeded when we compare ourselves to somebody else and we know we're doing better than they are. The idea of storing up treasure in heaven for them, for those who do not believe, those who think it is a waste of time, the idea of heaven is simply wishful thinking. According to them, we ought to give up. But according to God, what we live for in this life, according to God, when we live for what we can get in this life, then all we receive is what we get in this life. We find our destiny is destruction. Remember, he said in verses 18 and 19, For I, as I, have, as I have told you before, and I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now we're going to take a few moments and just look at those who are undecided. There's a high probability with this group that they grew up in church. Or at least they're familiar with church. They've been sometimes, maybe they had some friends. They might say they believe in Jesus Christ. They might say that he came to earth to pay the price for their sin or for all sin. They would even perhaps even believe that Jesus came not only to give us eternal life, but he, they're counting on the fact that he came to give us abundant life. And how they define abundant life means he makes all our problems go away. At least they hope so. Their struggle, they struggle with the concept of putting sacrifice into actions. The idea of living a sacrificial life has no place in their waking thoughts. The idea of storing up treasures in heaven rather than here on earth just doesn't make, like, seems like it will pay off. And even though they are familiar with church, Jesus has never been their passion. He has never been their center They hope that heaven is real. But they are determined to make heaven on earth here, at least for themselves. And if they pray, prayer is to get God to give you what you want. For them, prayers are for dealing with problems, prayer for healing, prayer for job, praying for jobs, prayers for sorting out personal relationships. Whenever there's a problem, God is the source, the way to solve the problems. And while that is true, for them, the only time they go to God is when they have a problem. 
they are not really committed. You see, here's the problem. If you're going to steal second base, you've got to be fully committed. You know what I mean? Right now they're in the World Series, right? And if there's somebody on first base, if he's going to steal second, you've got to have the timing down. And when you take off, you don't just stroll on, stroll on over there, do you? You go at a full out sprint or you're going to be thrown out. You're not going to succeed. And that's the type of commitment God wants us to live. He wants us to be sold out fully for God. He wants us to be fully committed to living the life that he has called us to live. So what keeps people in this undecided area? What keeps people trying to hedge their bets and, and, keeping fully, and not be fully committed to Christ? There's an acronym that was created by, because of texting. It's FOMO. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. In this life around us, we so, see so many wonderful things. We see nice luxuries. And I tell you what, I like to be pampered. I like a comfortable car. I like riding in a comfortable car. Enjoyable. I like beautiful houses. They, make you, they can make you feel good. Just if, you, if you're able to own one, it can make you feel great. Especially when you look at others, you know, and it's like, oh, they're struggling a little bit. But you know, when I was beginning to go to school and become a minister, I remember thinking, as I surrendered my life to various in various ways, and I've, I felt like pretty much at the time I was committed to becoming a pastor, I remember thinking in my mind, well, at least you didn't call me to be a missionary. I remember thinking that and thinking, you know, I was like, and then I was immediately convicted that I knew I wasn't where I needed to be. I knew I wasn't surrendered as I needed to be. And, and honestly, I'm still not as surrendered as I need to be, but I'm working on that. Hopefully, with God's help, maybe one of these days I'll become at least more surrendered. But I wasn't willing at the time to become a missionary if God chose me to be that. Until I got to the place where I was willing to become that, I didn't find God's peace. And then I found peace with that surrender. Does that describe you? Are there areas in your life that you, to which you're holding on? Areas that you wouldn't be willing to go? Things you wouldn't be willing to do. For Fernando, it was moving back to Mexico. He didn't want to, but God changed his heart. It became his passion. Is there something God is a passion that God is calling you to? Something he wants you to do? We can't let the fear keep us from doing the things that God calls us to do. If you're afraid, there's an area in your life of which you are afraid to surrender. 
then you have the wrong focus. It's as simple as that. God in his word, and Aaron mentioned this earlier, said perfect love casts out fear. Earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Cliff preached on a passage in verses 3 and 4 where he says, where, especially verse 4 where it says, to think of the needs of others. Consider them to be more important than your own. If you can't say that is your life, then you have a wrong focus. You have a wrong focus. You focus upon yourself instead of the needs of other people. You see, we only get one life to live. And we need to make the right decisions. And the truth is, other people only get one life to live. And they need to have the chance to make the right decision. So what are we doing to reach out? If we are totally surrendered, we let fear go. And we start, we learn to focus upon other people and love them as they need to be loved. And whenever you fear, feel fear rising up within you, you need once again to take, your, take the focus and the intention off of yourself and start thinking about the person you're called to minister to. And ask God to help you love them as much as he loves them. So how do we get past the fear of being tricked? Verses 20 and 21 says this, reminds us this, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to, to subject everything to himself. I get three quick points of emphasis out of these verses. First of all, remember who you are. You are a person created in the image of God. You are a person that Jesus came to this earth to die for and pay the price of sin for. You are loved eternally by your creator. You belong to God if you have given your life to God. Secondly, remember the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus came and paid the price for our sin. And because of the gospel, because of the salvation that we now have, we have a future. Remember the future that to which we are called. In, on, in this life, we are aliens. If we, are, if we belong to Jesus, we have become aliens on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Remember the future. We are called to spend life eternally with Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray right now. As we take a few moments as Aaron and the team begins, gets ready to lead us in singing a song. Maybe, dear God, I pray that if there's somebody here. who realizes they, maybe they need to make a commitment to Christ for the first time. 
they understand and they begin to understand and feel and to believe that if they want to find personal contentment, they have to find it in you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you help them to make that decision today and that they'd be willing to come forward and to pray with me. And I pray, dear God, that if there's somebody here who has been wrestling, that maybe they've they made a commitment to Christ years ago, but they have been letting their desires for personal fulfillment be the center stage of their life. And they know that they aren't living the life that they, they have been called to live. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this would be a morning of recommitment, a, a morning of commitment, a morning of dedication. Maybe for the first time, they begin to understand that you need to be their Lord, not just their Savior. Dear God, speak to our hearts. Help us to live fearless lives, not worried about our own problems and but allowing you to use us in the midst of our problems to touch the lives of others around us. In your name we do pray. Amen.